Jesus being forsaken, crying out to the Father, where are you? In that moment, the very thing that had separated people from proximity to God, relation, relating to God personally, was, was destroyed. God is released, the Holy Spirit is on the loose. Making his home inside of anyone who would respond to Jesus. And now because of all of this, the Holy Spirit being relocated from a place to a people, the people of God never have to experience this level of abandonment, ever. So hey, we've been in a teaching series called Famous Last Words. And uh, in this series, we've been looking at the last words of Jesus from the cross. His final words of choice as he's hanging there on the cross, dying as if he were a criminal. And uh, uh, one of the things, you know, I think, I think we all understand is that when it comes to the end of someone's life, their last words of choice are kind of a big deal. You know, like, like it reveals a lot about who they are. It reveals a lot about what matters most of them. Like I can guarantee you that there are none of us in this room who when we come to that moment in our life where we're at the end, like we're probably not going to be worried about a closet that still needs to be organized. You know, we're probably not going to be worried about tires that need to be put on a car in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you know you have moments left, minutes, hours left. Like the things that matter most uh, are going to be on your mind and the things that come out of your mouth there at the end. And, and so the great thing about the Gospels is that we get to see this from Jesus. Like it's recorded. We don't have to guess what was on his mind at the end. We don't have to wonder, you know, what his last words were. The Gospels record what was on his mind, record what he says. And, and I, think we, I think we take these words of Jesus from the cross and, and we receive them just a little bit differently. Not that they're, they're more important than all the other red letters in your Bible, uh, you know, but, but they, they carry just a different level of significance. It's like, wow, these words were on Jesus' mind at the end before he died. And, and the thing that, that I think we have to ask is, you know, not just what was on his mind, but why were these things on his mind? You know, and, and, and the reason why is because, man, these are the things that mattered the most to them. These are the things that he felt. These are the things that he was going, going through. And, and so I want to kind of push into that direction just, just a little more. We're week four into this series, and we're getting closer to Easter. And um, so I want you just to kind of like draw up in your mind, you know, the images of the crucifixion and what that must have been like. This past week, as I was preparing for this message on Friday, um, I, I began to remember uh, about how over the course of my life, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of going on many different mission trips. And, you know, I've been to different places in the world. I've been, you know, on different types of mission trips, some where we've done like construction projects, others where we've done, you know, more like, like ministry and intense ministry and things like that. And and yet for me, you know, the, the kinds of mission trips that always have like gotten to me the most are the ones in which we visited orphanages. Um, you know, there's something about being with a child who no longer has a family or doesn't have a family that can take care of them that, that, uh, that is heartbreaking to see, right? It's heartbreaking to, to, to watch. And, and so in, in these moments right there that, that where I've been, you know, at these orphanages, there is something inside of me that just begins to hurt, begins to ache, because this is not the way it's supposed to be, right? I remember in 2010, I had the chance to go to Jamaica on a mission trip, and this was right after uh, my family had, had been down in Texas over uh, the 4th of July, uh, just celebrating with friends and family, and when we were down in Texas, I got severely sunburned. I mean, 
I mean like severely on my chest, all over, all over uh, my chest and my back, like the, you know, let's just get, let's get uh, uh, personal here. Like, I mean, my skin was like bubbled up all over my body. Like uh, it, it, was, it was intense, uh, so much pain. He, uh, he, you know, probably, probably on the verge of heat stroke. Um, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was really, 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 really bad. And so the night before I left to lead a trip to Jamaica, I was the leader of this mission trip, uh, I was in the ER and I was crying and I was like, I am in so much pain. I couldn't sleep for like three days, couldn't find a, a comfortable position. And so I uh, went there, they gave me like burn cream and Vicodin. And so I'm taking a bunch of teenagers on a plane, flying to Jamaica, and their leader is on Vicodin. You know, it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, in fact, I couldn't, we flew out of Kansas City. I couldn't drive. It's the middle of the night. I couldn't drive. I had, to, I had in the middle of the night, I had to call somebody to find, the, uh, to find somebody to take us to Kansas City to fly out. So uh, because I was on Vicodin, could, not a good idea to drive a 15-passenger van or whatever. Um, so uh, we get, you know, we get to Jamaica, and it's in July. It's hot, like hot, and I'm you know, very sensitive to heat, right, at that time. So you can imagine, so I'm wearing long sleeve shirts, like everywhere, everywhere we're going. And uh, I remember, like, we went up this mountain uh, to this orphanage at the top. And when, when we got there, you know, I, I just, I can't participate in everything uh, that everybody's doing just because I, I'm, in, I'm in a lot of pain, like major discomfort. And so, um, you know, I'm kind of I'm more off to the side, just, just watching. And then, uh, you know, as, as, as we're, we're there for a while, there's this, this one young boy who sort of takes to me um, and, like, all he wants to do is hang all over me. Like, all he wants to do. He just wants to, like, hang all over me, like, all over my neck. He's on my lap. I'm, like, I'm, like hurting bad, like, so bad. I'm, like, ah, you know, and, and like, like, I love you. <laughs> and he, uh, yeah, I just don't have the heart to tell him to stop, right? Like, like I'm, I'm hurting in, uh, intensely. Like, I, I can't remember a time in my life where I have had that kind of physical pain, and, uh, other, other than then, and, and, and I just don't have the heart to tell him to stop. So here's the thing about orphanages, kids living in orphanages. You know that you can feed these children food you can provide for their basic, you know, physical human needs, but if you deprive them of meaningful human connection, if you deprive them of attachment bonds, uh, research has shown that they will develop less body mass and they're more likely to get sick and that they, they will eventually uh, develop what psychologists call a failure a syndrome called a failure to thrive. Think of these, of these babies. Think, you know, if, if, you have, you know, if you've ever you know, gone to an orphanage in another country or, or you at least have it in your mind, a picture of what it must be like, think about it for a second. These babies in cribs or these kids who have food but they do not have love. Right? They have food but they do not have love. If you're taking notes this morning, we are made for human connection and relationships. And so what researchers have found about these kids who, who have spent, you know, a huge amount of their, of their very young years in an orphanage, um, they have found that unless these children experience love, unless they experience deep human connection, there will be spaces in their brain where neurons do not properly form. Meaning the physical hardwiring of their brain is incomplete. So, what they have found is that almost every time, it's almost like an exact uh, science, that almost every time a child experiences this level of abandonment that they have behavioral and performance problems later in life, that there's something lacking, right, that the, that the neurons were not properly formed, that, that uh, something in terms of like, like brain development has been stunted. 
something has happened to these children where they were quite literally forsaken. And as a result, their entire life is, is set back from the start. It's like they, they don't even get a fair chance. You know, they're, they're like miles behind everybody else. The circuitry in their brains has become crossed. Now, this is true, and there's so much, there's so much research on this. You can, I mean, you can, you can go blind reading all of the, the, the case studies on this type of stuff, like, like where, where people are deprived of like human attachment bonds at birth, and, and, and they, they go through those, those times in their life where at a young age they don't receive the kind of human connection they really need, and it's true, and it really happens. But I would say from a Christian perspective that not only does this level of forsakenness touch their brain and affect their brain development, I would say that it touches their spirit as well. And in this room, in this place this morning, you know, we may not have very many people with these kinds of gaps in their brain, but many of us have them in our soul. Many of us have them in our soul. Places along the way in our journey where we have felt neglected. Maybe we've been physically cared for. Maybe we've been financially, you know, provided for, a roof over our head, but in our soul, like deep down, we have felt levels of abandonment. We have felt at times forsaken. Perhaps when you were a, a, a kid, you know, maybe your parents got divorced, you know, and it, was, it, it left like such a deep wound of like, you know, uh, the, the, the safety that, was, that, that you felt was provided for you of like a, a two-parent home and that being how it's gonna be forever and all of a sudden it's gone. Or maybe like when, when, as you've gone throughout your life, like there, you, there was somebody in your life who said that they would always be there, right? Who, who promised, you know, I'm with you forever through thick or thin. And, and now as you sit here today, you're like, I don't even know where that person is. Like, you know, like have you ever had people like that? I, 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 you know, um, like a sad commentary sometimes on, on, on pastoring uh, and, and, and like a great commentary on it too. It depends on how you look at it, but you know, you can come to a point where you look back and you go, man, like where I am right now, there were people at one point who I thought would like always be here who aren't. And then there are people who I thought would like be gone, <laughs> like, you know, who are here and are in and are like, you know, helping to kind of build what God is doing through our church. And I think, I think a lot of us feel this from time to time, just like, like, man, where are the people? And so I remember as a kid, you know, going to the grocery store with my parents um, I remember, uh, you know, having this, this very common experience that some of you probably have where I got lost in the store. Uh, I, was a, I was a kid who liked to just kind of go off and do whatever, and, and I remember looking around and not noticing or not recognizing anybody and just, you know, all of a sudden feeling uh, all alone, feeling afraid, feeling like I was lost, and so I'm just kind of crying there. Somebody takes me up to the front. They say my name over the loudspeaker, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Lombard, right? Would you please come uh, pick up your son? And um, like that was a moment that like I, I will never forget. Like I have not forgotten that moment. Like the feeling of like all my people are gone. Like where are, where are my people? I don't recognize anyone, that feeling of loneliness. And so look, I, like, like, I, like I was just saying, you know, I think that in this room, we may not have a whole lot of us in here who have those kinds of gaps in their brain, like maybe kids who were raised in an orphanage, but I think that there are a lot of us in here who probably have gaps like that in our soul. And here's what can happen if you're taking notes. What can happen over our life is a spirit of rejection can enter into our heart. A spirit of rejection can enter into our heart. Psychologists talk about the importance of the third grade for shaping our sense of identity. The third grade, 
right? How was third grade for you, you know? They've even talked about the rejection that can be often felt from being picked last at recess. I had somebody, like, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I should, it's kind of a brag story. So I, I, I yeah, I had someone ask me, like, what that was, you know, what it was like, you know, at one point, you know, when, when I was a kid getting picked last at recess. I'm like, well, I don't have that experience. That was not my story. Um, but but uh, I can imagine that must not have been fun. So, um, but they talk about, like, the trauma of that, right? Like, why do we still separate kids like this and say, you know, um, that it can, have, it can have a lot of trauma? So what happened to you in the third grade? What was third grade like for you? What happened in middle school? What happened in high school, right? It's amazing how many things from our past still can affect our present. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you, have you, ever, you, ever, you ever, like, found, like, like, yourself in a moment where there's, like, presenting behavior that just kind of startles you? You're like, like, why did I do that? But, and, and, and there's something in you that just intuitively knows that this, this, this comes from my, my past. This comes from a, a, a place um, in my life that happened a long, long, long time ago. I remember, you know, in the early years of being married, you know, to, to Lindsay, her and I used to get into uh, strong arguments. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, like the reactions wouldn't always match the behavior. And, and so, you know, we're like, man, that was like big. Like, it was like a big reaction. And what we, what we found, you know, was, was that sometimes one of us was like reacting, but we weren't really like yelling at each other. We were yelling at somebody else. Somebody else from like, from like our past, someone else, like something had been triggered and we were like getting pretty upset, but it wasn't really about, you know, each other. It was about, it was about somebody else from another time in our life. You know, life has a really not so funny way of, of not always turning out the way we want it to turn out. I don't know if you've noticed that. Again, have you ever had someone say that they would be there and then they end up not? People you thought would always be a part of your life or whatever, and, and that's just a different frame, that's just a different season. They're not, they're not there anymore. And We are at a time in history, a time in our culture where people are regularly and repeatedly abandoning relationships and leaving deeply wounded people in their wake, throwing relationships away quicker than ever. And this can happen so much in our hearts. You ever been surrounded by lots of people and felt so alone? You ever had like a lot of people near you but felt incredible loneliness in that moment? Ever felt like God was difficult to find? Ever felt like God wasn't very close? Ever wondered, ever wondered why there was... There's like so much pain in the world, so much divorce, so much abuse, so much heartache, so much trauma. Ever wonder why so many like, you know, um, good people die young? Like it just doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. Like what is going on? Why all the pain? Why all the heartache? Where is God in all of this? And sometimes if we're honest, it can feel like God has turned his back towards us as if we have been rejected or forsaken by God. I, can, I, I could just start, if we sat down, I could just start to rattle off moment after, moment after moment, story after story of times where I felt as if God had turned his back towards me, where I felt just this, it's different than just God being silent. It felt like, like emptiness. It felt like I don't know where you are. Have you ever, have you ever, been, you ever been forsaken? Have you ever been forsaken? Not a word we use a whole lot, but to be forsaken is to be completely deserted by others, abandoned, 
left completely alone. When people forsake you, they withdraw from you entirely. They have nothing more to do with you. They act as though you don't exist. Feeling forsaken is worse than loneliness. The closer the tie, the fuller the trust, the more crushing is the blow when we are forsaken. Let me just say this to you. Very, very similar to an orphan child like we were talking about a minute ago. I believe that there is nothing the enemy wants more than to make you feel spiritually homeless. There's nothing that the enemy wants more than to make you feel abandoned, to feel as if you are homeless, like you don't have a spiritual family, like you don't really have a father. You know, my, my journey with God would surprise some of you because you know, on the outside, looking at my story, most people would assume, you know, okay, Pastor Jordan came from a good family. You guys have met, you know, met my parents. If you've been here for any length of time, they've come, they've spoke. Um, but there has been a steady, strong rhythm of abandonment in my life over the years. I, I, can, I could tell you story, so many stories, so many stories of, like, leaders, pastors, people who, who like, you know, uh, said they would always be there, and they're not. Like, I can tell you story after story. Like, 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 to the point that it's left me, like, uh, it, 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 it culminated in me, like, needing to get, like, some freedom and some counseling and, like, delivered from some of that because, because it, it, just, it just was wrecking my life. Like, I, I was seeing everything through a lens of everybody will leave at some point. Every, everyone's gonna, gonna eventually um, step, step away. Let me just tell you something, okay? Like, like, like rejection has a way of entering into the human heart. It has a way of like embedding itself deep within our soul. And we don't even realize, we don't even realize that it's there until there's like a flare up, there's a reaction, there's a, um, our defenses, you know, kind of kick in. And so what does Jesus really have to say about all of this, right? What does he really have to say about all of this? In Mark 15, we see at the crucifixion of Jesus uh, this very, 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 very famous story. It says this in verse 33, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. So think about that, right? Jesus is on the cross, everything gets dark. Everything goes black. Darkness came over the whole land from the sixth to the ninth hour. Right? I, that would not, I mean, that, that would be odd, right? You would, you would sense something significant is happening here. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was the son of God. Mark 15 here, Jesus makes a final statement from the cross that can only be described as extraordinary. 
Here we find Jesus on the cross using his last moment before he dies to share some some pretty famous last words. In fact, I would tell you that none of the words that Jesus says from the cross may be more famous than these ones. None of the the words that Jesus says from the cross may, may be more memorable, may be more memorized than these ones right here when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about what's going on here. This is an incredible claim that Jesus makes from the cross. Think about everything you have ever experienced. Every moment of abandonment, every wound, every failure to thrive that has happened on planet Earth, the Son of God on the cross, he understands it. He understands it all. Here Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing complete and total abandonment. He's experiencing what it's like to be forsaken. I want you to, what I want you to do right here is I want you to start to think about the shift that has happened in the relationship between Jesus and his Father. I want you to think about the shift that has happened in their relationship in this moment. Like think about, think about the distance that is now felt. Jesus is, is, is perceiving and experiencing a distance in the relationship between him and his father. Where, where prior to this, there was close proximity and intimacy, he is experiencing distance. For the first time in his life, is he experiencing a void? Is he experiencing the absence of the presence of God, his father? We know that in Luke chapter three, a story that I I referenced a couple weeks ago, that that at Jesus' baptism, at the start of his ministry, the father, you know, with with, with pride, right, in a booming voice from heaven, he says, this is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. We know like the dove descends, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And so at the start of his ministry, the father is like, this is my son, I'm proud of him, I'm pleased with him. And And now Jesus is on the cross and he's at the end of his ministry. So this is how it bookends. It starts with like like, like the pleasure of God and and, and God being, you know, know, loving him and and, and commissioning him really into his earthly ministry. And it's ending here with Jesus on the cross, crying out, Father, where are you? Where are you? Jesus has been forsaken the back of his father has been turned on him. And in this awful, awful, awful moment of the crucifixion, as evil men were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do to Jesus, he expressed his feelings of abandonment. He expressed his feelings of rejection. And in this story, what's happening right here, the sins of the world have been placed upon Jesus at the cross. And for a period of time, Jesus has felt, feels the absence of his father's presence. He has felt forsaken. So at the cross, sins of humanity are placed on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This was happening at the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life. He had never sinned, never did anything wrong. But God made him who had no sin, God made him who was perfect in every way to become sin. He became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. You are not righteous in and of your own strength and ability. You are not good enough 
to attain righteousness before God. The blood of Jesus, it covers your sin. His righteousness is then transferred into your bank account, right? You are credited with his righteousness, not yours, so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can stand before God clean and pure. First Peter 2, 24, Peter writes this and says, about Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is what's going on at the cross. Jesus is experiencing abandonment, complete absence of relationship of his father. I mean, complete absence of relationship with with really anybody who was anyone. And all of the sin, the full weight of, of humanity's sin has been, you know, levied on him. Think about his journey to the cross. Think about his journey to this moment. He's experienced forsakenness in nearly every, every human relationship imaginable. His family, we talked about this story uh, last week, but his family thought he was out of his mind and they went to try to like, like pull him away from people because they're like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing us pretty much, right? Like, stop. They thought he was out of his mind. They've, you know, many of them have forsaken him, his own siblings. His disciples, his closest friends, have abandoned him every, even after promising that they never would. You know, Peter shortly after promising to never abandon Jesus, is asked by a teenage girl if, if he you know, was, was with Jesus, was one of his disciples. Peter denies, not just once, but three times. You know, one of the most emotional places for me when I, when I was in Israel was being in like the courtyard where, where they, they say, where, where Peter denied Jesus three times. Because we read that story and we're like, man, Peter, what are you doing? And, 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 and yet in that moment, in that courtyard, I was like, oh my how many times, how many times have I been this way myself? The religious leaders have turned their backs on Jesus. These are the very people that he came to, to fulfill their prophecies of the Messiah, and these people want him dead. They don't receive him as their Messiah. They instead want him dead. There is Listen to me, there is no part of our human experience into which Jesus has more deeply entered than this one. He knows just as we do, and more than any of us, what it means to be forsaken, what it means to be abandoned, what it means to be turned on, abandoned by fickle crowds, rejected by his own people, betrayed and denied by his close friends. Jesus, crucified and dying as a criminal, feels forsaken by his own father, by God. But what's interesting to me is like, you know, there's all these different statements Jesus makes. He starts out with an incredibly famous one, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But on the cross, Jesus isn't just talking about forgiveness of sin. Like that's, that's good, and we, we want that, we need that. But he's not just talking about forgiveness of sin. He's also showing what it looks like to be forsaken by God because of sin. Like, like what that feels like, what sin does to us, that sin, without being dealt with, if, if it was never dealt with, that there is a forsakenness, there, there, there is an emptiness, there, there, there is a distance that is created because of sin, and Jesus experiences all of that, the consequences of sin in this moment. On the cross, Jesus is quoting a famous messianic psalm from David in Psalm 22, uh, which, which 
you know, most of you are going to be familiar with these famous words, which say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting this psalm. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Have you ever felt that? You ever just needed God, like a desperate cry for God, like, where are you? Why are you so far from me? Verse two, oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm not silent. He's saying, I'm not silent. You're silent. This psalm is written hundreds and hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. And yet everything that David penned here is fulfilled in the life of Jesus. If you go on in Psalm 22, just, just, just to verse 16, it says, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. So think of Jesus on the cross. He's being, he's being encircled, right? Like, like these dogs have, have surrounded him, right? All, all the crowds, the groups of people, whether it's the religious leaders, whether, whether, whether it's, it's, uh, it's the crowds of people who have all come to watch him die, to mock him and watch him die, he is surrounded as he, as he is hanging there on the cross by all of these people. He says, a band of evil men have, have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Psalm 22, David writes this, hundreds of years before Jesus would fulfill them. It's prophetic. He's prophesying through this psalm about the future Messiah. And here in Mark 15, the story we're in today, Jesus is on the cross and he is feeling the full weight of this prophecy. He's feeling all of it. Do you notice in this story, do you notice the darkness? You notice that it says at the sixth hour, darkness came across the whole land until the ninth hour. That's a significant piece to this story that we can kind of, kind of, kind of pass on from because we don't really know like, what that means, but darkness fell on the land at a, at a time when it wasn't normal, a time of the day when it wasn't normal for it to become pitch black. In Scripture, when you, when you study the Scriptures, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, Again and again, what we see is that darkness is a metaphor for judgment. Time and time and time again, it's a metaphor for judgment. That the two, These two words, they are tied together. Darkness and judgment. So understanding this backdrop of darkness, I want you to look at this thought with me. The darkness represents the Father saying to Jesus that he has been judged. Okay, so, so the sun goes down. Darkness comes across the land, right? This this represents the father essentially saying to Jesus that he has now been judged. He's been judged as guilty. That he is deserving of all of this judgment, evil, and punishment because the sin of humanity has been laid upon him. All of humanity's sin placed on Jesus. He's been judged in this moment by the father as guilty. Jesus has been forsaken. He's been abandoned by his father because of sin. God cannot look upon it. Habakkuk 1.13 says about God, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Like this is God. Like he can't just, just he, you know, he, he has turned away from sin. He's turned away from the evil that has been levied on Jesus. So in this place of judgment, in this place of darkness where Jesus has bore our sins in his body, on the cross, God, God can't look on him. 
You can't look upon him. In this place of judgment and darkness, Jesus cries out to his father because he's feeling unthinkable emotions of abandonment and unthinkable emotions of forsakenness. Emotions he has never once felt in his life prior to this. At this level, at this level. I mean, that, the whole 24 hours prior, some of the, the most horrific levels of abandonment he'd, any person could ever experience on planet Earth. His closest people are gone. And now, after all of these people have left, where's God? Where's his father? So what happens, you know, to us, what sin does to us, because of, you know, the, the seriousness of sin, it, 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 it breaks relationship with God. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, like the original sin, but also because of our own rebellion, our own willfulness to sin, to do whatever we want, to go our own way, regardless of what God, what God wants for our lives, it results in this profound separation from God. Sin puts us in a state, you know, prior to Jesus, right? Prior to bringing him allowing him into your life and accepting him as savior, it, it puts us in a state of penalty where, where we, we, you know, we deserve a penalty for our sin. It puts us in a state of penalty, a state of wrath, a state of separation, a state of bondage. This is the state we find ourselves in apart from Jesus. And so, if you're taking notes, like, like the, the gospel matters because like something had to happen to close the gap. Something had to happen to close the gap. Something had, had to happen to mediate the restoration of our relationship with, with the Father. On the cross, Jesus is taking the penalty for us so that we can be reconciled to God. Look at this thought. Jesus, here's Jesus on the cross choosing to be forsaken so that we never have to be. You understand that? He's choosing to be forsaken so that we don't ever have to be. He takes the penalty so that we can be reconciled to the Father. First John 4, 10, this is love. You wanna know what love is? You wanna know what love really is? You wanna define love? There's all kinds of different definitions floating around out there about what love really is. John sums it up. He says, no, 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 don't look to the right or to the left. Don't, don't, don't get your, your, your cues on love from, from, from pop culture. Don't get your, your, your cues on what love really is from, from what is what is popular in the dominant culture right now. He says, he says, this is love. Not that we loved God. This isn't our own doing, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. You want to know what love looks like? You don't look to a dictionary. You don't look to culture, right? You look at Jesus hanging on a cross just outside of Jerusalem. You look at God in the flesh giving his life away for the world. This is love. Fleming Rutledge says it like this. She says, with all due respect to the religions of the world, there is no other story like the Christian story. The God who thunders, the God who persecutes and condemns, the God who wreaks vengeance. Yes, we know this God from the caricatures. We know this God from the old paintings. We know this God from hearing continual references to the Old Testament God. But this is not who God is. 
The Old Testament God is the one who has come down from his throne on high into the world of sinful human flesh and of his own free will and decision has come under his own judgment in order to deliver us from everlasting condemnation and bring us into eternal life. He has not required human sacrifice. He himself has become the human sacrifice. He has not turned us over and forsaken us. He was himself turned over and forsaken. This is the story of Jesus. This is what he has done for us. This is what is happening on the cross. Jesus has become forsaken so that we will never have to be forsaken ourselves. You notice that in this story, in Mark 15, that something happens on the cross that releases something in the temple. You notice this? Something happens on the cross that releases something in the temple. Verse 37, it says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's significant. It was from top to bottom. So think of this story, right? Think of Jesus on the cross. He's feeling all sorts of abandonment. He's feeling all alone. He's feeling forsaken. My God, my God, where are you? And as he breathes his last breath in that moment, in a place of just complete loneliness, something is triggered in the temple. And to understand the significance of, of this, you have to understand the centrality of the temple in, uh, in Jewish culture, the centrality of the temple to the Jewish people. The temple was the most holy building. Right? It's the most holy building in all of Israel, the most holy building uh, in all of Judaism, the place where God dwelt. Now in the temple, right, there, there were different rooms. In the temple, there were, there were different rooms where you know, certain people could enter. But there was one room, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was, uh, was understood to be, where it was understood to dwell. And only once a year could the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies. Only, only once a year to make atonement for the people. And so... This room that housed the presence of God, it was separated from the rest of the temple by this gigantic curtain. In fact, you know, you can do some study to figure out like just exactly how thick it was. It was incredibly thick, incredibly tall. But the Holy of Holies is separated by this, this massive curtain. So, so there, there, there's a place where, you know, cert, you know certain people can, can come up to a point but they can't go past that curtain because beyond that curtain is where the presence of God was. And in this story, what we find is that at, at, at Jesus' death, the curtain is torn from top to bottom, signifying that the presence of God is no longer separated from the people, but is now accessible to the people. Now, the significance of this in Jewish culture is really twofold. Let me, let me, let me, let me give this to you. Number one, it, rep, it, it shows us like the significance of like the father's grief when, when, the, when the curtain is torn. So when a father would lose their son to a premature death, it was known in their culture that the, that the father would, would, would tear his clothes from top to bottom. Think about just, just grieving, like tearing their clothes from top to bottom. So we see the, the curtain being torn from top to bottom like like showing us that God is, God is, in this moment, he's grieving over his son's death. The giving of his life. There is, there's grief that is happening from the father in this moment. The, 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 the tearing of, of, of the curtain 
in the temple. The second thing that, that shows us significance here is, is, the, is the release of the Spirit, the release of God's presence. God has, effectively in this moment, he has relocated his presence from a place into a people. Right? Listen, he has effectively relocated his presence from a place into a people. Both, both Paul and Peter talk about us as, the, as the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the carrier of God's presence. So God has relocated his presence from the Holy of Holies, from a location, from a building in Jerusalem, into you, into me. So the cry from the cross, Jesus' cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My Father, where are you? This cry from the cross, him breathing his last breath, it is ripping open the temple and sending the Holy Spirit out into our lives. That's what's happening here. Here's what this means. Huge thought. Huge thought. In spite of your sin, you are now so holy that the very same place where a high priest was terrified to enter and go before God's presence once a year, once a year exists in you. You are now so holy, in spite of your sin, in spite of your sin, the blood of Jesus has covered you. He's justified you before his Father. His righteousness has been credited to your account. You are now so holy that the very same place, the Holy of Holies, it, it no longer exists in a building in Jerusalem. It exists in your heart. The very same place where a high priest, a high priest, like, like, like the, the elite guy, the most holy man, who, who was terrified to enter into that room because if he wasn't perfect, if he wasn't like, like he hadn't done everything just right, he would die in the presence of God. He's, you know, that same place where he was terrified to enter, it exists in you. You and I, listen to me, you are so cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You are so cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's not just like a little, a little cleansing. It's not like, like you've just been sort of made right and now just like live in shame and guilt the rest of your life. No, you are so cleansed by the blood of Jesus that you don't just get a, a, a once a year access to God. Instead, you get permanent 24-hour access to the Spirit of God who is inside of you. So, so when you're going through life and you're feeling emotions of abandonment and rejection and you're like, where is God? Listen to me, what, what does Paul say? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where is God? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know where he is. Look at this thought on the cross, Jesus is experiencing the forsakenness we deserve out of his rescuing love so that we are never forsaken. As a result of the forgiveness of our sins at the cross, the sacrificial system of the temple is no longer necessary and the curtain is ripped open. God is no longer found in a place. He is found in the very people Jesus has rescued. This is a new humanity. We talked about that last week. A new humanity formed in the blood of Jesus, right? This is a new spirituality. This is a new way of relating to God. And so, you know, here's the deal. I got 10 minutes left. The problem with this message is that you know all of this already, pretty much. Don't you? Most of you, like, you know this stuff. This isn't, like, profoundly new. It's not like, wow, man, thanks for giving me that brand new thought, Pastor. Like, no, like, 
The problem with this message so far is that you know all of this already. Nothing that I've said this morning is like incredibly shocking. Most of the stuff you get, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Everything I just said. We get this in our minds and sometimes it even touches our emotions. But do we really get it in our spirit? Like what this actually means. Do we really get it in our operating system? Jesus being forsaken, crying out to the Father, where are you? In that moment, the very thing that had separated people from proximity to God, relating to God personally, was, was destroyed. God is released. The Holy Spirit is on the loose. Making his home inside of anyone who would respond to Jesus. And now because of all of this, the Holy Spirit being relocated from a place to a people, the people of God never have to experience this level of abandonment, ever. Ever. Look at this thought with me. So many of us have experienced such deep levels of forsakenness in our lives that even if we paste a doctrine and theology on top of it, we never touch the brokenness and the wounds in our hearts. I, you know what's been amazing to me over the years is noticing like how I have really good theology. I, I think I do. I've, I feel like I'll have good theology, good doctrine, but like my behaviors don't always match my, my, my beliefs. Like, we actually live out of belief systems. We live out of, like, this, sometimes the spirit of rejection that makes its way into our heart, this orphan heart, this orphan spirit, where we, we live as if we don't have a spiritual family. We live as if we don't have a heavenly father. We live as if we've got to figure this out on our own. And, I have, and yet I have good beliefs. You could ask me, like, what I believe about, about Scripture, what I believe about you know, all these things, let's go down the, the doctrine of justification and the doctrine of adoption and all that stuff into God's family, and, and I, I could ace that test, but it doesn't really matter what I believe if, if, if how I live doesn't match what I believe. It's impossible to live the abundant life if, if my behaviors don't line up with good theology and good doctrine. Jack Frost says this, not that Jack Frost, um, a, different, a different Jack Frost. Uh, he says this uh, in his book, Experiencing the Father's Embrace. He says, when you possess an orphan heart, you never truly feel at home anywhere. You're afraid to trust, afraid of rejection, and afraid to open your heart to receive love. And unless you're able to receive love, you cannot unconditionally express love, even to your own family, you can be born again, go to church every week, tithe, avidly study the Bible, and do all the right Christian stuff and still have an orphan heart. Being saved does not automatically mean feeling secure, loved, and accepted as a son or daughter of God. They are two different things. The new birth in Christ makes you a son or daughter of God, but that doesn't mean that you will enter automatically into the full personal experience of that love relationship with him as father. Go ahead and take a picture. So listen, Jesus isn't, isn't dying on the cross just so that we can believe that Jesus died on the cross. You believe Jesus died on the cross? Well, good, good. Like, I'm glad you believe that. But Jesus isn't just dying on the cross so that you can believe that. He's dying on the cross to heal our forsaken spirit. He's dying on the cross to heal this orphan heart. 
Like, he's creating this new family in his blood. Like, like we, we are no longer slaves, right? Like, like we have not been given the spirit of, 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 of fear, but a spirit of sonship, right? That's, that's, that's what uh, Paul writes and tells us about. Like, like, we have been brought into this family. Jesus isn't just, isn't just dying on the cross so that you, your sins can be forgiven and you can go to heaven one day. He, he's dying to heal the forsaken spirit inside of you. He's, he, he, he's, he's dying here to heal this orphan heart. The Spirit of God has been sent into the world to heal the orphan wound so that we can enjoy life as sons and daughters of God. Look, like, I want you to love Jesus and I want you to follow him. I want you to, to follow hard after him. But I want, you to do, I, I want you to do it from, like, the right place. I want you to do it from, like, like, like a right motive. And... and I've said this more than once, but if I was given a brand new Christian on day one and I had, I had to like, it was my responsibility to figure out how to, how to like build them into a Jesus follower. Like I've been asked before, like where would I start? Like what's the first step? Brick number one in like helping to lay the proper foundation, everything, everything is built on this, is I would start first and foremost with their identity. Brand new believer, brand new follower of Jesus, Number, your identity. Like, like if, I, if I could get a brand new believer to, to begin at this place for the rest of their life to truly have an identity that is set and secure, meaning that they know beyond a shadow of doubt they are a son or a daughter of God, like, and that is a non-negotiable. That is their identity. That is who they actually are now. A lot of us, like, we come to faith in Jesus, and we believe that he died on the cross, and that's good, and we believe that his blood shed deals with our sin, but not as many people step into this identity of knowing and understanding and living into the, the, what it means to be in the family of God, to be a son or to be a daughter. The Spirit of God has been sent into the world to heal this orphan wound so that we can enjoy life as sons and daughters. That's big news. That's massive news. I want you to watch this video because I think that what you see in this video is how we should respond to this kind of news. One more gift. We have one more gift. It's not from Grammy, but it's, yeah, it's another gift. Why don't you careful open it up? There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? Can you believe it? It's too good. 
pretty powerful, right? That's the picture. That's incredible, but that's the picture. Like, you and I, we are this, this little girl. We're this kid. Like, this is, like, like, like our heart, like, longs for this. It longs for a home. It, it, it longs for a place to belong. It longs for a family. And, uh, and this is what Jesus has provided on the cross. Not just, not just to rescue you from this earth and to get you to heaven someday, but to bring you into a family. I wanna ask you a question. When you think of the Christian life, do you see this moment for you that we just saw? When you think of the Christian life, do you see this moment for you? Here's the father, right? Here is the son on either side of you. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you in my family. This is the heart of God. Remember, on the cross, Jesus is willingly being forsaken. He's willingly experiencing what it's like to be forsaken so that you and I will never have to feel that ourselves. It's the Christian life. This is you and me. You and, you and I, riddled with doubt, riddled with sin, riddled with shame and dysfunction and wounds, saying, God, would you ever want me? Like, would you ever want me? And I want you to imagine the Father and the Son on the other side of you, and they're saying, like, I want you so bad. I want you so bad. Listen to me. This is why the temple is empty. This is why the cross worked. So that deep in your heart, you can know that God wants you back. Deep in your heart, you can know that God wants you back. Look at this with me. Jesus experienced the pain of abandonment on the cross so that through a relationship with him, we don't ever have to feel that ourselves. Abandonment, forsakenness, feeling all alone. That's not the inheritance for a son and daughter of God. Jesus promises us unending love, love that will never end. No matter what, at your worst, he promises a love that will never end. He promises to never leave us nor what? Forsake us. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. His promise as he sends his disciples out into the great commission. Remember that in Matthew 28, what does he say? He says, and surely I will be with you always. Not sometimes, not just a little while, not when it's convenient. Surely I will be with you always till the very end of the age. That's the promise that Jesus makes. You know what Jesus is saying here to the disciples in, in Matthew 28? You know what he's saying to you when he says, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age? He's saying, you're never gonna experience what I experienced. You will never experience what I experienced. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Closing thoughts. Romans 8 is a really famous chapter in Scripture. It's the famous chapter that talks about the love of God, and a lot of you in here probably have portions of this chapter memorized. You remember the famous words of nothing being able to separate us from the love of God, right? Incredible 
scriptures, magnets, and we're all highlighting these, probably all of us, right? Like just incredible truth. But do you remember what it says in the middle of Romans 8? Like, so there's all these scriptures. Nothing can separate from the love of God. Like, do you remember what, happened, what it says in the middle of, of Romans 8? Look at this in Romans 8, 36. It says, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says here to these, these followers of Jesus in Rome, he says, he says, all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's saying, you know how like sheep's, sheep like line up and then they're killed? They line up and then they're, they're slaughtered? He says, that's the Christian life, essentially. We are considered as sheep who are slaughtered. And Paul says, but cheer yourself up because nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God. Chin up, you'll be all right. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Like that's the proper context to understand this. He's saying like, here's what the Christian life is. It's not easy, it's hard. You will feel as if you are sheep lined up to be slaughtered. Like, like it's just not easy, but take heart, like chin up. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced. Here, here, here's like the thundering famous scripture. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That orphan spirit has been dealt with. That forsaken spirit has been dealt with. We are not abandoned by God. The Holy Spirit is on the loose. He lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And so here's what Paul is saying in Romans 8. Last thought for the day. You can throw that up there on the screen. The promise is not that we won't ever face struggles. Some people mistake, it, mistake that. Like They're like, well, I got saved. It's been so much harder. Well, that's, you're probably doing something right, actually. So the promise is not that we won't ever face struggles. The promise is that when we do, we won't be abandoned in the middle of them because Christ is in us. Like we don't experience that forsakenness like Jesus experienced on the cross. That's, that's not what we are, are, are meant to, to, to experience. And, and Jesus did, went through that once so that we never have to. When we experience struggles, we will not be abandoned. We have a family we have a father, we have a big brother who shows up, who was with us in those times of struggle, and he gets us through. Would you stand with me here this morning? Would you just bow your heads just for a minute here? There are some of you in this place that you need to let the Holy Spirit just touch this place in your heart where a spirit of rejection or a spirit of abandonment has, has entered into your heart and it's time right now to just, to just let the Holy Spirit address that, to deal with it, to heal you, to let it go, to let the Holy Spirit just really remind you of the family you belong to and that you are not, you are not forsaken. If you're here this morning and you would just say, Pastor Jordan, like, as you've been talking this morning, there has been something in my heart just, just responding to those words, and I know that the Holy Spirit wants to heal something in me. Uh, can I just see your hand right now? 
right now? You need the Holy Spirit to heal something in you right now? Yeah, several hands. You're in good company. Good company. God, I thank you. I thank you for the love that you have for every person in this room right now. I thank you that you are not ashamed, you're not embarrassed to be associated with them. That you, that you haven't like ignored them and you don't pretend like they don't exist. Lord, I, I pray right now for every person on the sound of my voice right now who, who raised their hand, who said, God, I need you to come and I need you to heal something inside of me. Wherever there has been a forsaken spirit, an orphan heart, wherever there has been this detachment and this inability to kind of see ourselves as sons and daughters, Lord, I pray you'd come now and break down those barriers where the enemy has been working so hard to get us to feel as if we are spiritually without a family or spiritually homeless. God, would you come right now and remind every person in this room who had their hand raised of how much they are loved, of how proud of them you are, that there is a home that you have prepared for them. I thank you that you have never left us, that you will never forsake us, that you promise to not abandon us, God. And so I ask in this room, God, right now you'd start to just replace our identity, whatever we have have, have been, been believing, whatever we've said about ourselves, whatever you know, uh, lies we've come into agreement with, whatever names or labels or things that have attached themselves to us over the years, God, would you right now begin to transfer, supernaturally transfer and change our identity. God, I pray for every person here today under the sound of my voice, God, that they would walk out of here firm in this identity that I am a son, I am a daughter. 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 Right now, God, would you heal that? Would you, would you infuse that into our spirit here today? We give you thanks and praise for all the healing work you're doing in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen.